I remember Richard Huntington once saying advertising needs to be interesting first and right second. And I think design and innovation is probably the other way around. You need to be right first and interesting second. What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Michael John Alexander Scott, aka MJ Alexander Scott, Group Director at Fjord over in uh, London. What's up, MJ? Hello, Mr. Pollard. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And MJ, Michael John, Alexander Scott, that's a lot of names put together. Does that mean that you're a royal? Well, yeah, funnily enough, my first day in advertising, I was at Manning Gottlieb and uh, they took a look at my CV and they thought, this guy got to be posh. It's going to be like a lord or something. And then I came in and opened my mouth and they realized I was like from Birmingham and they're like, okay, yeah. It's obviously not related to royalty whatsoever. <laughs> and then the second thing they said was, well, obviously we're not going to call you by your name because it's ridiculous. So we're just going to call you MJ. And I've been MJ ever since. So people that know me before I started working in Adland know me as Michael John. And then anybody that I've met since started working in Adland knows me as MJ. Mm. Although in defense of Birmingham, because I've looked this up, having done some work there and having some friends there, Birmingham has been historically in the top 10, 20 richest cities of Europe, right? There's a lot of wealth there, a lot of, lot of I old didn't, wealth. I, I didn't actually know that. Might have made it up. I think I did not make it up, but it's, it's historically wow. been one of the wealthy cities. It's just that that wealth is probably in the hands of four and yeah. a half people. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. Yeah. I did not know that. I'm definitely going to dine out on that. Thank you. Anytime. I have other random facts about Birmingham. What's your favorite thing about Birmingham? Oh my God. Well, I don't know. I think it's the cultural center of the UK, industrial heartland, home of Birmingham City, more canals than Venice, more urban parks than anywhere else in Europe. Was one of those answers sarcastic or were they all sincere? Mostly, mostly sincere. It's probably sort of like two lies and a truth. Okay, very good. We're going to talk about advertising agencies and management consultancies. As I mentioned, you're a group director at Fjord. And you know we're a good decade into advertising agencies being worried about the management consultancies coming and stealing their lunch breakfast and dinner and everything in between. And through the past decade, we've seen management consultancies acquire advertising agencies and design companies like Fjord, for example. And sometimes it's worked out, sometimes it hasn't. There's obviously pros and cons to each. Not everyone suits one or the other, different cultures. What got you interested in working in a management consultancy? Yeah, long story, I suppose. Um, I've always just sort of moved to an agency or a new role that felt like it's close to the action, felt like it's got the bigger problems to solve. I think I started out in media agency, ended up going to ad agency and then digital and client side, then doing a, some sort of like behavior change consultancy work overseas, just sort of following my nose really. And it never really had any sort of master plan just sort of following the more interesting problems and ended up, you know, wanting to move away from Marcoms, wanting to move away from marketing. So I felt like a little bit limited. I think, you know, as a strategist, planner, you know, your role is to sort of noodle on the insights and then sort of come up with the, the recommendation and the way forward. And I think, I don't know if you've ever been in this position, but I often found myself in, okay, once you know about the problem, you know, you've got an insight. Marketing isn't necessarily the first thing that you need to be worrying about as a client. And I found that it was often having to, you know, pass over some of the most important things to do, whether it's changing the experience or actually redefining the proposition uh, for the business or the service or the product. And instead, you know, stay in our lane and, and create an ad. And that's fine sometimes. And sometimes advertising is, you know, the best thing to do or the most pressing thing that needs solving. But I found that often it wasn't. And I wanted to go somewhere where all the cards were on the table and you could pull lots of different levers. And mm -hmm. that's how I ended up at Fjord and at Accenture. 
Mm-hmm. I love how you describe your journey as one of trying to get closer to the action and trying to find bigger problems to solve. If you think back to when you were in media agencies, how soon into your time in a media agency did you feel distant from the action? I was really lucky in starting out. I was at a grad at Manning Gottlieb, just doing sort of press and TV buying for, for a little while. And a couple of years earlier, Naked Communications had just launched. And so media agencies were starting to take notice and shit themselves a little bit because Naked had this new model and they were sort of exposing media agencies for a sort of fairly flawed or sort of like murky business model and said, actually, you know, we'll be much more neutral. We'll give you comms planning strategy and advice and you can just go to media agencies to buy it. And so not only were Manning Gottlieb, I guess, nervous like many other media agencies about Naked, but then Andrew Stevens and Ben Hayes left uh, Manning Gottlieb and set up Good Stuff Communications, which was a like Naked, a sort of channel neutral comm strategy shop. And they took Virgin with them. And Manning Gottlieb at the time had Virgin as a big account and lots of other sort of young creative challenger brands as clients. And so Manning Gottlieb, in response, set up their own strategy department within about a year of me joining. And after about 18 months of me being there as a grad, I was really fortunate in that I could, I joined that strategy department. There's only three of us. And I was definite newbie with a couple of really smart strategists that I was learning from. And so I had a couple of years really early in my career where I was getting into comm strategy and, and doing really quite strategic sort of briefs and pitches uh, much earlier than I think a lot of my peers were. So I was really, really fortunate. And I think that gave me a taste quite early for you know, working with strategists in Adland on sort of, you know, multi-agency briefs, you know, working hand in hand with the clients. And so I was a bit spoiled perhaps quite early. And then he was doing that for a couple of years and had great three and a half years at, at Manning Gottlieb and just learned an absolute boatload, really thrown in at the deep end, really good culture. And I thought, actually, I want to actually go and do the, the coolest, slightly sexiest stuff that I see, you know, these guys doing uh, ad agencies. So I wanted to go and do that. And so I did that at CHI for a little while. And then while I was there, I got approached to by an old client to go to Glue, which was a digital, a little digital hot shop at the time. Hmm. And they were just doing loads of random, weird and wonderful type projects. And they were sort of a real sort of like left field challenger agency. Clients often had them as they're on the roster just to come up with some bonkers shit that challenged their traditional clients. And so I was just constantly sort of getting presented with, with opportunities to go, actually, this seems a bit more interesting. This seems a bit more interesting. I never had a, this sort of grand plan. I just moved into the new space. Often there was a really steep learning curve. And then after a while, you know, got settled in and thought, oh, I can sort of do this and, and maybe got a little bit itchy for another challenge. Uh, maybe it wasn't always the next sort of big strategic challenge or a bigger problem or close to the action. It was just something new or something I hadn't necessarily done before. Mm-hmm. There was definitely an era around the time that you're talking about where there was more talk, increasing talk about trying to solve problems, which is kind of an abstract thing until you actually break it down. Mm. And it's an abstract thing in many advertising agencies that are essentially hired to make advertising. And what I'm wondering is in your journey, as you intellectually were captivated in trying to solve companies' problems, whether you actually took solutions that would solve business problems to marketing clients only to realize that they were not the front door to solve that problem and what that experience was like. Because I have a feeling there's this little crew of people who bought into the, it's sort of idealism when you think about it, but this idealism that advertising exists to solve business problems, that that in creating a brand, you can change an entire business. And I believe both of those points are true, but very difficult to do because often the marketing team is not able to affect the rest of the company in the way that would be necessary for those two thoughts to be true. What was your experience with dealing with that idea of trying to solve problems and also trying to find the client 
to solve the problem with. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I don't know if I've ever cracked that and been able to, you know, pitch a sort of solution to a marketing client or a CMO, or marketing director that isn't really in their lane, that isn't really something that was within their power to execute themselves. I've only really been able to do that, you know, work on new businesses, new ventures or products or services, working into clients that have the power to execute for the back of that. And that's one of the reasons why I ended up where I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a source of frustration. That's why I ended up, I think, sort of moving. And I think we forget that, you know, I think sometimes, you know, advertising was a sort of little bit sneery and planning was a little bit sneery of clients. Like, oh, they just, they just don't get us. They just don't appreciate, you know, our brilliance and our problem solving skills. And actually they're human beings too. You know, they've got issues and families and stuff they're wrestling with and politics and bullshit in their office, like you have in your office. And they're just trying to get the work done. And sometimes they're trying to reinvent the category and win awards. And other times they're just trying to get through the goddamn day. And actually you pitching a massively off brief idea that isn't what they've asked for, isn't often really what they want to hear from you. And I think consultancy is probably, bizarrely, uh, a little bit more empathetic to that client reality sometimes, I think, than I found Atlanta to be. What were you most worried, possibly even scared about, as far as shifting from an advertising agency into a management consultancy? I'm sure that wasn't an easy shift. I think it was a lot, a lot of it was just the unknown. So I think you can talk in interviews and talk with friends that work in these sorts of places as to what it's like. But in reality, you don't know. In reality, you don't know what the dynamic is with the client, what sort of conversations are going to be in the room. I think it's a case of, you know, are my skills that I've developed over the years doing something that is, you know, although I've moved around broadly, you know, on the Marcom side of things, are they going to be transferable? to these sort of sets of problems and these types of clients and these types of colleagues. I've not worked in a design studio before, which is what Fjord is within Accenture. So it's sort of both got the management consultancy to wrestle with and also working in a design studio mm-hmm. as well. So two very different, I think both of those domains were a sort of source of anxiety. Will these skills be transferable? Do you feel that the people, I'm assuming there were several people involved with hiring you, do you feel that they pitched you in a particular way? What were their talking points? What did they want you to believe in order for you to join? Well, I I joined Fuel to lead their insights practice to start with. I now look after the strategy and the insight side of things at Fjord and also sort of lead projects that fall between sort of corporate strategy and the design studio. So projects where we're often partnering with the corporate strategy arm of Accenture and bringing the sort of creative element of Fjord to bear on that. And they're sort of hybrid projects that require both sets of skills. But I joined initially to sort of build out their insight practice. And I think that's probably one of the more obvious ways in for strategists and planners going into design agencies. I think design studios going through the insights route. So that was my way in. He was very much talking about insights and which, you know, was fairly comfortable conversations for a planner to have. But what were they selling you? You know, if if you've ever been in a more mainstream advertising agency and a digital agency approaches you, they'll want you to believe that you're going to be able to do brand strategy in the digital agency, which might or might not be true. If you're in a digital agency, you're going to a brand agency, they might want you to believe that you're going to be able to play upstream a little bit. What were some of the things that they wanted to convince you about to join? And this is not like a, a gossip-seeking question. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's almost like we're, <laughs> like these are really big decisions that people have. You know, should I leave yeah, yeah, advertising? Yeah. Should I go into management consultancy? And I guarantee there'd be hundreds of people wondering about that question right now. And so I'm just curious to almost uh, vicariously do some role play on their behalf with you. Mm. What did they want you to believe? Well, the pitch was you get to come in and work on the biggest business problems that clients have and you get to sit at the top table 
and you get to bring sort of creative mentality and work alongside some really smart business folk as well. And, you know, in a good way, you know, we're sort of at the vanguard and we're sort of, we're all making this up as we go along. You know, this is a new type of model, a new type of client service, a new sort of proposition in the marketplace. Can we be a part of it? I think was the pitch Mm -hmm. recently. Okay. Now I'd imagine one reservation that a lot of people would have is that I'm just not going to fit in. It's going to be a really conservative environment. It'll be dominated by alphas who are very PL oriented and if you own the PL and you own the client then you own everything and then i'm going to be in a really subservient role in a way that i'm not used to and maybe i'm mm. not interested in did you ask about those kinds of things how did you feel that out no but well i joined fjord originally which is part of accenture interactive so you know what i didn't do is i didn't join a consultancy you sort of bog standard consultancy as in you're going to go straight from a creative agency marcom's background into management consultancy doing you know operational efficiency work. I joined Fjord, which is a design innovation studio. It looked and felt very much like an ad agency, but it was nested within, I mean, it was separate in separate building, but nested within the corporate structure of Accenture and lots of projects with Accenture. So it wasn't the leap into the suited and spreadsheet dominated matrix that the stereotypes portray. Um, but also I would say that, you know, that stereotype isn't necessarily true as well. I've found some sort of wonderfully creative and unstereotypical consultants that I've worked with. I think someone said this on Twitter, actually, this is it's fairly lazy thinking to just brush all consultants, management consultancies, of which there are many different types as a sort of like suited, bespectacled, spreadsheet wielding risk manager. Well, I mean, if you actually look into the history of management consultancies, and there's a really good journalistic book called The Lords of Strategy. It's really interesting because apparently a lot of the people who ran the very early management consultancies would kind of come up with these frameworks, sometimes on the back of a napkin, and then sell the hell out of them for a decade. And then someone else would come in with a new framework and they'd sell the hell out of that for a decade. And then I think the 70s and 80s, there was easier access to trying to understand competitors' business models and how they made money. And that became a really important source of, I guess, competitive advantage between the different consultancies. So the the history of it, especially in the States, is actually quite creative, even if it was very suited and serious. So it's it's a fair point that I think you make there. Are you now closer to bigger problems? Yeah, I mean, the first year or so was scary and anxiety-inducing and sort of the, the learning curve was almost vertical. I think it's safe to say, you know, first day I was on a pitch and I don't know about you, but I quite enjoy pitches. It's where I learn the most. And it, immediately, you know, you fall into pattern recognition. It's like, okay, it's a pitch. Everyone's running around. There's a problem to solve. No one really knows the answer yet. It's quite a good actual first induction in the sort of first month just to get into something that's fast. So there's no time really to go, oh, am I doing it the right way? You know, you're into a meeting, you're having a conversation about what the best thing to do is and you, you sort of crack on. And then I got a chance to, the rest of most of my first year, to help a bank build a new mobile first digital bank. And that was, yeah, something I'd <laughs> never come close to uh, doing before. That was really sort of baptism of fire. And that was working with the COO of a bank and the rest of the C-suite and some really smart consultants who were expert in financial services. I'd never worked on banking before, didn't know my ass from my elbow. So yeah, it's a huge learning curve, but it was great. And it was incredibly stressful. And one of those projects where you come really close a few times to going, oh my God, what am I doing? Have I got what it takes? Are we going to pull it off? But I'm glad I stuck with it. And I think I came out the other side, learning lots of lessons, would do lots of things differently, but really glad and grateful for the experience. And it's exactly the sort of experience I hoped that it would be when I made the move. What else was, if you, if you drew a line that was vertical, also yeah. known as a vertical line, if you drew a vertical line. Yeah. Uh, what, what else were you learning at that time? I was learning about design. 
So I know you talk a, a bit about imposter syndrome, but I sort of definitely had that working with sort of designers. So I was very sort of conscious of what I didn't know and keen to sort of read around that and tiptoe around that a little bit as well. So I was really sort of keen to learn more about design, design thinking and interaction design and visual design, and all the different nuances of design and give these people the sort of respect that they deserve to sort of crafts people in their own right. And that's something that fueled sort of prize. So the design side of things, I was really keen to learn. And then just generally, I think the thing that I perhaps picked at the most by osmosis, but also just in my spare time reading around, it was the business side of things, the sort of commercial nows, I suppose, that was really essential to do some of the projects that we were working on. Okay. Part of your role involves insights and leading the strategy and insights practice. Insights in a design studio, having been involved with insights in an advertising agency, how are they different? Oh, okay. This could be a podcast in and of itself. I think insights in a design studio and innovation more broadly is probably about building a sort of web of understanding rather than that killer insight that you're polishing to create a lovely turn of phrase that becomes a meme within the client and, you know, gets everyone excited. I think obviously that still has loads of value and clients loved it when you did that. But I remember Richard Huntington once saying, talk about the difference between being right and being interesting. And he made the point that advertising needs to be interesting first and right second. And I think design and innovation is probably the other way around. You need to be right first and interesting second. Because if you're not right, then you're not going after the right target audience or maybe the addressable market is too small, your business model's wrong, and you're going to waste a load of client money. And then the interesting stuff comes later. And that's arguably sometimes the brand comes a bit later as well if you're in startup territory. I think that's the big difference. And I think design studios and certainly at Fjord, we sort of pride ourselves in actually having research specialists who get out there and do primary research themselves, good qualitative research and take the time to do it. Whereas, you know, I think we've all worked in agencies and you've got 10 days to turn around a brief and the research is Google and some mates and maybe you cobble together a focus group in one evening in the office with friends of friends and you get to an insight and really it's about, you know, crafting your words and, you know, picking a unique, interesting bit of culture to leverage rather than necessarily really understanding sort of target audience or really sort of in-depth research and, and understanding. Okay. Uh, you mentioned the word risk earlier and how there is a bit of a stereotype that management consultancies aren't necessarily risk-oriented in the way that advertising agencies would think about the word risk. How do you understand the type of risk, and we can put the word creative, the type of creative risk or risks that Fjord, Accenture and the clients are likely to take? And how is that kind of risk different to the advertising agency kind of risk? That's a difficult one. I mean, I, I took umbrage at that. I just felt it was a really sort of simplistic, sort of false distinction in that, you know, a lot of advertising isn't risky. I think, you know, we know that most advertising isn't great. We celebrate the successes rightly. But I think if you to speak to a lot of your listeners, I'd love to know what percentage of their briefs that they write every year feel like they're really bold and sort of asking the clients to take massive risks. So really, you're sort of taking umbrage at that idea of saying, you know, all advertising is about risk taking and all consultancy is about risk management. Yet loads of consulting, management consulting, let's sort of group it all together, is like operational efficiency and taking costs out. And it is, you know, a bit dull. And it's not something I really get involved in. But there are pockets of consultancies that are really more about innovation and new propositions and products and services and ventures. And that is by definition, that is about helping clients manage existential risk often 
It's about, okay, what is our new business model? We're really under threat. We've got anemic growth. How do we turn this around? We've got competitors on all fronts. Uh, there's loads of options that we could do, but we don't know where to go. You know, that, that is really about managing, you know, huge levels of risk, helping clients make big bets. And consultancies have seen for a long time that they weren't necessarily equipped to address those questions for clients using the old, you know, ways of working, which is why there's been so much acquisition over the last 10, 15 years. What have you learned about asking and getting business people to take risks having been at Fjord? I think a lot of that comes down to ways of working. So one of the things I noticed is very different in Fjord and I think of the design studios, but also within consulting more broadly is the way in which they work. And I think Amelia Tarot talked a little bit about this. There's some difference in in the way that she's working now, which was much more collaborative, collegiate with clients. So be, actually being in client offices, uh, stuff on the walls. And that is the sort of default way of working in design studios. Mm. They'll have wall rooms and they'll have clients either in their studio or consultancies more often will be on client site all the time. In fact, in, a, in most consultancies, you'll need a really good reason as to why you're not in the client's office, mm-hmm. working at their desks. You often need their laptops to get access to their data and their documentation and everything anyway. I think at Fjord, we try and strike more of a balance because we believe in the sort of the benefits of actually being more studio-based as well. But we're in clients' offices in pre-COVID a lot. And I think working side by side with clients much more intensively than I think we used to in marketing, where you go off for weeks or months sometimes and you come back and you go off and come back. And it's sort of in and out. And I saw that when I was client side as well. You don't really see them and then they come in and, and then they go again. Whereas it's much more intensive. And so I think there's much less big reveals. There's much less, oh God, everything rides on this one presentation where we're going to ask them to take a really big risk. It's much more, you know, little conversations every day and you get there together and then you maybe look back after 10, 12 weeks and you go, fucking hell, we've gone a long way actually. And actually we're about to make some really bold decisions. But at the time, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a sort of us on them. We're trying to convince them of anything. Mm -hmm. So that's the word risk. What about the word creativity? You know, a lot of advertising agencies, not all, but a lot would lean into creativity that seems shocking in small and big ways. And that kind of creativity might or might not have a place in management consultancies. But obviously there are creative people doing unusual, uncommon, interesting things in the management consultancies and in Fjord and other companies that are part of the management consultancies. How is creativity, it's a big, weird question, but how is creativity different outside of the advertising agency world for you? Well, I feel like in advertising, the creativity is quite narrow, isn't it? You know, you can be super creative and super bold and, you know, the interesting first and right second, you know, it's right. How interesting can we be? How different, how salient, you know, can we be? But it's sort of narrow and deep. And I think what I like about consulting is that it's creative problem solving in a much broader sense. And there's just a whole different sort of problems to solve. And I love that. I love being exposed to lots of different problems that don't really have necessarily a playbook to solving them. And the creativity for me is in working out, how do we approach this? How do we even respond to this brief? What sort of team do we draw on? What sort of skill sets do we need? How long is it going to take us, you know, and getting into it and actually, you know, working this thing out with a client for the first time. They don't know how to solve it. Not many other people have solved it. And, and we sort of go on that journey together. And that for me, that creative problem solving is the sort of creativity that really gets me out of bed as a strategist. Since you've joined Fjord, I'm sure that Fjord and Accenture in general have brought in more people from advertising agencies. Do you think that the people who join from advertising agencies have safe landings? Do people get them? 
Yeah, so I think obviously that some advertising agencies have been acquired sort of wholesale, but I think there are certainly some other people in Fjord and in design studios that have a background in Adland, whether they've moved into insight roles or design strategy roles, sort of business design roles. And generally, I think they make the transition well. There's often a shift, obviously. Uh, the levers that you have to pull with your strategic decisions differ, but I think they've all come out the other side. I don't know anyone that's sort of come in and then gone, oh, actually, it's not for me and gone back again. Mm -hmm. So you do get asked by people what it's like where you are, by people who are frustrated in that land, who are wondering what else is out there and what your experience is like. What questions that I haven't asked you, do they ask you? They ask me sort of what else is out there. And I've had a few conversations with younger strategists who have contacted me on LinkedIn and said, you know, can I ask you advice? Because I'm in this agency it's an ad agency or sort of adjacent sort of Marcoms type sector. And, you know, I was promised I get to do brand stuff or I promised I get to do juicy repositioning work. And, you know, I'm doing Instagram ads or TikTok videos and it's super tactical. And I saw, I think it's Rachel Mercer on Twitter saying that on average, some strategists she was working with were writing 50 or 70 briefs a year you know, and it's just the idea of like churning that, that stuff out. Mm. And I think they're a bit frustrated that the reality doesn't match what they were sold, but they love creative problem solving. They like the idea of applying that in, in new ways and getting out of the sort of tactical and into the strategic stuff, the juicy stuff. And so they're looking for what's out there. And I think there are a few different options that I talk about going to design agencies through this sort of insight track, potentially, if they're sort of slightly more research literate. I talk about going to innovation agencies, which is sort of slightly different, but maybe the angle for strategists would be brushing it more on the sort of commercial skills, business strategy skills, but also bringing that really sort of crisp, productive thinking and sort of creative articulation of a proposition that I think a lot of people who haven't worked in Adland don't necessarily have. I think that's just a real sort of unique skill set of Adland trained strategists that they should hold on to. And I think the third area, which is a little bit more tangential that I talk to people about and, and that they're quite interested in is product management. So that's more on the technology side of things. So for those strategists that are more interested in the sort of technology and actually shipping products, whether it's for startups or whether it's for big established tech companies, product management, I think is a fast growing strategic discipline. It's a little bit more rounded. It's sort of strategist plus account manager. So those are three areas that I tend to get questions about and I tend to tell people to look into if they're struggling. Do you believe, as I do, definitely leading the witness here, do you believe that there are, <laughs> there are certain mini life stages, certain basically ages at which someone in an advertising agency in a, an account planning or a strategy role could make those kinds of changes into a design agency, an innovation agency or a product management role? For example, perhaps five years in to an advertising agency career, you can make that leap. 10, 15, 20 years, I'll go more 15 to 20 years, you start to be the person who is in advertising their whole career at that point, And it can be more difficult. Do you believe that to be true? I think it's harder if you've only ever done one thing for say 15 years to then go and do something very different. So if you've only ever been an ad planner for 15 years in traditional advertising agencies, and then you want to go and do something really different, then yeah, that might be challenging. It's not to say it can't be done. I've seen a number of people do that, but I think it is a little bit, maybe the sweet spot is if you know taking a few sideways moves after you've got enough, you know, like say five or seven years, you've got enough under your belt that you can do that. But I don't know, I think it's sort of different strokes for different folks. I've never done it strategically. It's sort of been accidentally. And it's also been as much driven by my curiosity and me pulled into sort of new roles as it has been just life stage stuff. 
I went client side when I was having my first kid and I went to the BBC. And I think that was a real change of pace for me from like the craziness of Adland. And that was just what I needed at that time. And I didn't go to a tech company that I knew would have been brutal work hours because I actually wanted to sort of take stock a little bit and wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do next. And that sort of client side role for me was great. One of the reasons I left media at the time also was that my dad had died in my mid-20s and that was sort of pretty earth-shattering. Mm. And I, again, I just sort of needed a bit of a shift. And I think sometimes life kicks you up the arse or pulls the rag out from under you and sort of forces you to just actually look around. You know, we can sometimes overthink the sort of career planning trajectory and sometimes you just sort of need to roll with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry to hear about that. Uh, how did that affect you? He fought a long battle most of his life with addiction and depression. And, and he ended up taking his own life when I was about 26. I was very lucky in that where I was working at the time, when he got leave, they helped get me counselling, helped get me back on my feet. And I think I ended up carrying on the counselling for a while afterwards. And that really made a massive difference. But I think that made me, I don't know, I'm not going to try and spin that into some sort of profound sort of career advice because I, I don't really have any off the back of that. But I think it was very much about, okay, well, I'm just going to get through it. You know, that point about sometimes clients just need to get through the goddamn day and they're less focused on winning your awards or, you know, revolutionising their category. And I think that's true for ourselves and our careers. I think sometimes you just have to batten down the hatches and go, you know what, I'm just getting through this year. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that after 2020. I'm not going to try and reinvent my career. I'm not going to try and sort of smash all my resolutions. I'm just going to try and get through the year with my sanity intact. I'm just going to focus on my relationships with my loved ones. And I think that's what happened then. I sort of batten down the hatches and focus probably more on myself and just the, the basics. You know, if you're not careful, I'll ask you five hours of questions about that topic. But I appreciate what you've just shared because it's not always easy to talk about these topics, let alone talk about them in public. And because of the context of what we're talking about, it might be too easy to make an unnecessary connection between your dad's passing and your experience with him to what we're talking about in a way that it might might be unnecessary. I'm talking a little vaguely, but just want to say thank you for sharing that. It was interesting to hear you describe an ad plan as, as basically doing the one thing for 10 to 15 years when so many advertising planners or account planners see themselves as, as generalists and they will get feedback from people as they look to shift that they're too much of a generalist. I don't exactly know what you do. Can you land the plane? That's one of those phrases that you often hear. <laughs> Uh, are you commercial enough? I want to talk to you about the word commercial as well in a second. Why did that language just pop out of you then? It sort of draws out this truth, but this ironic truth that a lot of ad agency planners and strategists mm. are generalists. They do a lot of different stuff across a lot of different industries, but other people can see them as, you know, both not being specialist enough, but also being specialist as an ad planner. It's a mm. weird riddle, that one. Well, it depends how you frame it, isn't it? So I guess that goes down to how you present yourself when you're looking around for jobs and how you think about yourself, but also who you're speaking to. If you're speaking to people that don't know anything really about advertising, then it's harder to explain to them the nuance of the different strains of planning or the different strains of ad strategy and how actually, you know, CRM planning and brand strategy are very different. Thanks very much. And uh, they're just going to be like, right, so isn't that just advertising? So you'll have to work harder, I think, to pull out the sort of nuances in your career. But it was more, I guess, a response, I think, to your question about, you know, is it harder to make a move after 15 years of working advertising? I guess my response to that is not if you've 
done different things, I think, in that sector. If you've moved around a little bit and maybe, you know, technically you've only been an ad planner for those 15 years only. I don't mean that facetiously. I mean, sort of like you've only done that one thing, but that still might mean that you've got lots of diversity of experiences and it's just sort of how you frame it, I think. Yeah, no, I, I do think that there are little pockets there and it's because the average tenure of somebody in advertising is relatively short and the pockets are definitely life stage based. You've got a few years in, but not too many years, which means you're malleable and coachable, but you've got some of the fundamental techniques. And then as soon as you start to reach the age where you're the same age or older than the person hiring you, there's going to be some resistance to wanting to hire someone into a role that they've never done before, which is just a particular bias, regardless of training and capability. It can be there. I've seen it. So there, I do feel like there, you know, 27, 28, I think you could make a leap that would be a little bit more difficult in many places, not everywhere. Hmm. That's not to say that this should be the case, but I do believe it to be the case. 35, let alone 45. Um, the word commercial. So this is a word that you often hear people describe, like an account manager as being commercial or not commercial mm. enough. What does it mean? What does it mean to be commercial? Where I'm at the moment, what it means is to understand how the client's business works and how the category operates. So you can have a conversation about how they can grow revenue or cut costs or launch new businesses or increase profitability. I think that's what it means in the context that I work in now. I think maybe historically, it may in Adland, maybe it's meant certainly say on the account management side of things. Do you know how our clients sort of pay us? And can you look after the commercial side of things of the business in terms of running this account and making sure we all get paid projects are on time, on budget, et cetera. That's what I understand sort of commercial to mean in my world at the moment. We were talking about frustrations and the frustration specifically of people who are thinking of leaving Adland and how some of the frustrations are based on the fact that many are doing tactical work when they think they should be doing bigger work. And there is a little bit of a looking down your nose at the tactical stuff. Are we just not being real with ourselves in in advertising right now? Uh, I don't need. It depends what you want. I don't want to do down advertising because, you know, lots of people love what they do and they love working advertising and that's the best place for them. For me, I got a bit bored of it. I was also, I think when I was working at Glue London, I, just before I went to the BBC, I was doing a lot of the Green Party work and I was that period in my sort of late 20s where I was like, yeah, Green Party, fuck capitalism, it's the enemy. I don't want to do this advertising shit anymore. That was just my own personal journey that I was going on. Uh, I then went and did a load of international development work and behaviour change stuff and realised actually private sector is really important and actually can get a lot of stuff done and sort of came full circle. But at the time, you know, I was like, yeah, see you later advertising. It, it wasn't for me. And I sort of since came back and worked for MNC Saatchi for a while. But but, you know, it depends what you want. The conversation I have is with people who are a little bit frustrated in what they're doing and they're actually not doing the advertising industry isn't living up to perhaps the promise that it sold them. That's where the frustrations lie, I think. You know, you're talking about ages of, of moving and sort of maybe being hired by someone who's slightly younger than you or the same age as you. There's a point I wanted to make around when you move around, I think you need to decide this is about like earning or learning. Sometimes you need a little bit of humility to say, okay, I can't actually walk into this interview and claim to have nailed this before. I can go in there and confidently say, I've got lots of transferable skills and I can bring something new that maybe you don't have. But it's going to be hard for me to go in there and boss it and say, I've definitely done this before. I'm the best at, at what you need. In which case, you know, you you might not be earning as much making that move as you might do if you stay put and just get the next promotion or you move to another agency doing exactly the same thing. And I think sometimes in your career, you need to make that choice about actually, you know, your pay stays flat for a little while while you're upskilling and while you're learning this new field with the hope that sometimes it'll eventually it will catch up to where you wanted it to be had you stayed put. Mm-hmm. 
That all makes sense. All right, last question. So you, you talked a little bit about trying to get closer to the action, closer to bigger problems, following the big problems and working on problems without a playbook. Is there a particular problem that you've been thinking about that you'd love to try to solve? I think we're doing a lot of thinking at Fjord at the moment around sustainability in the circular economy and how you can help clients have their cake and eat it, you know, sort of make money and also not destroy the planet at the same time. I mean, that is surely, you know, the problem at the moment. And maybe it's too big to take a bite out of. But I think that's something that a lot of us are noodling on. And a lot of the studio is sort of focused on integrating some more systems thinking work into what we do as a sort of next frontier of your skill set that is really helpful for the sort of problems that we want to work on. So that's probably the hairiest problem around at the moment. But, you know, I think I would add, I do think for all the, the new opportunities in consulting and what an exciting sort of place it is for strategists who want to do new stuff, I think it is still a little bit ground zero. And I do also think that there are going to be a lot of new agencies come along that are going to combine some of the best bits of the sort of creative thinking and problem solving of ad agencies in the Mark Arms industry with some of that more traditional consultancy skill set. I think it's mm. by no means set in stone. I think it's really early days. And I think, you know, in 10 years, we'll look back and think, God, that was really sort of like pretty embryonic and pretty basic in terms of how the industry looked. Yeah. I'm really curious about that. Like I, I sort of bought into different pieces of idealism and eras and shapes of companies and types of hierarchy and skill sets working together or not working together. And it dawned on me one time when I was in a place that is known for being very, very flat that previously had about three or four different skills in the agency and then brought in new departments. And I was in a meeting for, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollar pitch. And there were about eight or nine departments represented. And I was like, this is dysfunctional. My hunch is that beyond three to four groups of people, because they're all going to have their own subcultures, that it can get really, really difficult. And the traits, the psychological traits that these types of companies optimize for are quite, they're opposite, which can lead to good tension if they're managed well, but it's hard to find people who can manage them well. And my point, while using kind of big language and trying to say things without saying things, <laughs> is I'm curious to see if that is possible. Like, how, how could that work? Yeah, I think you have to create new cultures. So I think at the moment we're at the stage where you described it really well. There's lots of different sort of cultures coming together and lots of different disciplines, often through acquisitions, trying to work together in a way that is, you know, multidisciplinary, but it's multicultural in a way as well, because you've got different people with different, you know, sort of working ethoses, working disciplines. And that's really hard. That is hard going. It's not easy by any stretch. And I think where it needs to get to is rather than two different cultures working together or three or five or 10, like you say, like eight, was it in, in your meeting? Hmm. I think there needs to be like a new culture, which brings the best of those together. And I think that's quite rare at the moment. I think we're still at the sort of like development stage of the industry where it's the former rather than the latter. Mm. We're still wrestling with how do we create a new culture that makes space for these different disciplines and everyone's on the sort of same page going in the same direction. Mm -hmm. Now, you've been generous enough to post some of your observations on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? At Michael John, Michael J-O-N. Beautiful. So people can follow you there if they'd like to find out more about what it's like in the management consultancy slash design studio world. And often, but not always, often in comparison to the advertising world. Uh, MJ, I really appreciate you being here. Are there any other places on the internet that you would want to mention? Uh, no, I think Twitter is the main one. I'm on LinkedIn as well, but I think Twitter is where I'm more active. 
Beautiful. Well, thank you very much for joining me on Sweathead today. May you find and be haunted by the biggest problems <laughs> ever in the universe and continue to relish solving them. Thank you, Matt. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me on. Please. Cheers. Cheers.